Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Vitality Code podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Farah. I'm here with Dr. Jeffrey Farah, <laughs> um, the bearded wonder, as we call him in the studio. Jeff, it's been a crazy holiday season, man. I'm glad it's, it's, getting, I'm glad it's getting behind us uh, now. I mean, I'm glad and I'm sad. Um, I hope everyone had a good holiday. hope everyone had a good Christmas. Um, you know, uh, Christmas is a little weird now because we have a newborn in the house oh, that's right yeah. things change for you yeah so it's you know you know growing up you always talk about that dreaded well as a kid you're like oh you're if you had a friend that had a birthday around christmas you're like oh you get shafted it's true so, poor finley kate she's got it she's the 14th so 10 days you know or about well, harlow was the 21st Oh, Harlow's the twenty first. Wow. Yeah. So my when I when we had Harlow, I told Stacy we ought to just before we ever do this, right out of the gate, your your birthday's in July. Just don't tell her the truth. <laughs> <laughs> I did I didn't win that her. argument, but yeah. Save her from it. <laughs> yeah, I didn't win the argument. So was there even a consideration? Did she even give it a, a No. A, no. <laughs> I thought it was a I thought it was a great idea. I I was like, yeah. Hey man. <laughs> hey, that way that way you have something to look forward to in the summer and something in the winter. Yeah, it's perfect. Makes sense to me. So with a lot of holidays going around, there was, um, you know, a lot of holiday festivities, you know, Festivus and Feats of Strength. We did a little Feats of Strength <laughs> in the house. Did Look you really? That. You know, remember that? Remember the podcast we had on power, baby, maintain your power and, and strength and mass? <laughs> oh, God, what did uh, you do um, to your kids? So Eli, my 17-year-old, who's six four, what does he weigh? He probably weighs like 190. Pretty pretty wiry though, pretty scrappy. A little had I had to do a little over the top. Remember that? Oh jeez. You know, when Dad had the rock, had the rock. Yeah, I had to give him the little top roll, man. I had that T-shirt with sleeveless. Yeah, remember that? It said over the top in cursive. I couldn't read it, but I knew what it said. <laughs> <laughs> it was a sleeveless oh, shirt man. back in the day, man. In the suburbs of Southern Illinois, I believe, is where I right. rocked that. Hey, producer Nick can relate to the suburbs of Southern <laughs> Illinois. Oh uh, yeah, he's a Chicago boy, so yeah, that's a city boy. That's, that's a, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, he was on. Uh, was he coming on the screen? I thought he yeah, was he was going to talk. I thought he was going to make an appearance. I thought he was going to make nah, an appearance there. No. Okay, um, yeah, man. So I had to. I beat him four four uh, games, four matches to three. He got me a couple times. He did. Dang, yeah, dude, on the left hand. It wasn't just one. When you're done. You guys did like a tourney style. Well, okay. So here, for full disclosure. Let's see. Six months ago when I was in Jacksonville, doing a little locum stent, I met him up there, and we had dinner. Uh, Mom came. Uh, Uncle, Ma- Uncle Matty. Uncle Matty came, and uh, we had we had a little mano a mano, and I crushed him on the right side. He's, he's like, and I was like, yes. It's so, the old man still got it. The old man still got it. They're making fun of me, too. Oh, you're so happy. I'm like, yeah. Damn right, I'm happy to beat my kid. You wait till you get a 17 Yeah, kid. he's yeah, coming. He, Your days yes, are numbered. That's yes, right. Your man, you're getting replaced. The old man's getting replaced. And hey, the old, yeah, the old, the young bucks there, the old bucks, you know, wants to maintain his status. So um, then the left hand, I didn't realize Eli was left handed. I don't know why. Oh. Or, or he's, yeah, he's left handed or something. I don't know. And he got me on the left. I was like, dang. All right. And so, yeah, he's got. He's so you're even then. So you got okay, another so, year or two of well, fast forward to this December, and uh, now to be fair, I had worked out in the morning, and he hadn't. So I'll, at least I'll blame it on that. And he got me, yeah, he got me. So I was like, okay, another one. And then I beat him, and then he went to the left, and he beat me. And I said, like, hey, come back, and I beat him. And then 
It was as long as you didn't get injured. That's all that matters. Blow out a shoulder. I know, right? Elbow. Fracture your humerus. Uh, it was it was head that way. Then everybody started getting in on it. Uh, my nephew Bryson took him down too, man. The old nice. man was dominating. The then, old man strength. I don't think young kids understand old man strength. They they do now. They, they do now. <laughs> <laughs> and then I, then uh, then I had a bodybuilder friend over, and uh, he thought he was gonna blow me out of the water. And he's he's like thirty five. He's, he's like all Damn. show no go. Well, no, he was pretty. I mean, compared to me, he was like. He was like, oh, the old man's pretty strong. And I had him, and we were just, we were kind of deadlocked, and I kind of just, I burnt out, I think, and he got me. But, um, but he that was, was a, pretty anticlimactic. So you actually lost to him. But I held my own. You, and you sold that in the beginning as if you wanted. I, I was all excited for you. And I made him say, damn, this old man's strong. So was, <laughs> that's what maybe was the old man's strong. Okay. All right. Anyways, all right. Uh, for all you fellows out there that want to maintain your, strength and muscular mass out there well and women too um testosterone is obviously a part of that yeah wait yeah. before we go did you tell them that you were juicing that you were on the sauce no hold on a was second. this was this a, was this a sanctioned event was there pre-testing <laughs> <laughs> did uh what, the, the, what, yeah, did water come in and water water usada usada come in and yeah i didn't yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, maybe i yeah those samples that I gave. I of course, don't know he was a bodybuilder. Were... Maybe he was running the hard stuff. I don't know. <laughs> That's probably why he beat me. Uh, <laughs> All right. No, I, didn't tell, I, didn't, I didn't tell my son that. I, but, but theoretically, right, if we're doing this right, we should be at the level. We should be at a youthful level, not at an astronomically super physiological level. There so, you go. So it was, maybe you might even say it was a fair fight. There we go. There you go. In that sense, because he's probably he's probably his probably he's seventeen, so his testosterone is probably sky high. Yeah. So I mean, one of the ways. That we or no, so the way that we do this is we have to administer testosterone. We we've talked about pellet therapy. We're both big fans of pellet therapy. We both um, we have the pellets. We have pellets in our asses right now, um, <laughs> the two of us. And, and so we're we're, uh, we're big fans of bioidentical hormone replacement therapy. Um, but there's also other ways we can do that, and we treat our patients in the clinic. Let me ask you, if um, if somebody came in and wanted a subcutaneous injection of testosterone want to do that just for whatever reason didn't want to do intramuscular what's your standard answer in the clinic right now now i know you're giving me a loaded question but i'll (laughs) but i'll be honest is what i tell my patients and i have a feeling that you're going to prove me wrong but i I tell my patients it doesn't matter um i am versus sub q i tell patients there is some some signaling some thought process that maybe the sub q can deliver a slower absorption therefore maybe a slightly steady more steady absorption therefore potentially less spikes in valleys maybe potentially less of an estrogen conversion i don't know that i've seen that in practice and so i tell them what i look at is if we zoomed out maybe the thirty thousand foot view if we look at this from a year it probably won't make much of a difference however we can experiment on either side that's usually what i tell people well, I'll be, I guess, I guess even a blind squirrel. You said I'm going to print. No, that's actually, actually, actually quite right, actually. Is that really what you tell them? Is that, was that an honest, true? That's not- honestly what I tell them. I, I've experimented with it, and for me, I didn't like the sub-Q. It was almost – and the, the reason I experimented was I struggle with IM ejections, i.e. why I went to pellets, because the spikes really affect me, and I'm a huge estrogen converter. So I was trying to – to lower that. But what I found was I almost didn't 
I almost felt like I wasn't doing anything. And in terms of the the no, what do you mean by that? The, the effects of it? Yeah, or? I didn't get. I felt like I was blunting my positives. Hmm. So, but I was also comparing that to pellets, and I just so much prefer pellets that I I think it wouldn't have mattered. Or you were comparing it to IM as well, maybe. True. Yeah. I tell. Here's the other thing I tell people about IM is sometimes guys like the IM injections, and I think they like it for maybe a misconception. I think that they, <laughs> I think they like the, the, I think they like the rise from an IM injection, but the only reason they feel a rise is they're coming from a low, and so you're you're thinking about it from the rise, but the only reason you're getting a rise is you're coming from a low, and so you actually felt crappy the day before. So maybe if you thought about it from that. A little bit more steady is better. Okay, so so well, I mean, so then let's extrapolate that towards you. I mean, right? What 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 positives were you not noticing, or that you thought you should notice? With felt like I wasn't as robust of a feeling just all around that I'm used to. I don't like spikes, but I do you like the the benefit. Yeah, you didn't feel the energy surge. Yeah, kinda? not surge, but just overall the level just seemed to be a, a, a tick lower. Well, now to be fair, and and I'm not condemning you either way, but I mean, uh, did you? How long did you do it sub Q one A and then B? Did you test levels to know? Mm, no, I didn't test levels. Um, uh, do as I say, not as I do. That's right. Uh, <laughs> and then rules for I, me, but not for right. me. <laughs> I probably ran it for two weeks. Okay. Interesting. And I was coming from shots. It was a break in between pellets because I couldn't get to a practitioner. And so I was doing shots and I was like, oh, God, this is why I hate shots. You know, I am. I remembered. And so I was like, let me try this sub Q. Um, so where, where did you inject? Just out of curiosity. Stomach. Okay. And then what size needle? Good question. Uh, I probably used a 27.516. That's a pretty standard for my, yeah. I don't like those insulin needles because you can't draw it up in an insulin needle. I know, right? Yeah. They're just, just too thick of an oil. So yeah, I got to put a draw needle on it. So then my sub-Q needles in the office are the, – the needles are 27 5 sixteenths. Was it – I don't know. I mean, again, I don't know how long ago you did this, but was it difficult to uh, give yourself the shot? No. It was, actually, that was easier. Really? Even though the viscosity of these oily substances is fairly high. Because I lowered the volume of shot because right. I went to every other day. No, okay, so you did every other day too. Yeah. And how much were you doing at the time? I don't remember. I want to say point somewhere between point one and point two, maybe. Mm. I can't remember exactly. So twenty milligrams to forty milligrams. If if you're two hundred milligrams. Yeah. Day. Okay. Yeah. I think I probably averaged that. I do better at under two hundred milligrams a week, so I probably took that and extrapolated it out and found out where every other would lead me into total, and probably just split it by three or four. Yeah. Interesting. Well, I have, do you have anybody in your clinic that, that does sub-Q? I do. I have one guy who does sub-Q daily. Daily? Wow. Yeah. He, now, he came to me doing that, and he wanted to stay it. He's looking for stability and looking to the levels to tell him and looking to his labs to tell him how he's doing it and if he's doing it properly through that and really is, you know, where's the glucose monitor, all the things, you know, so he's really data-driven. As opposed He's to very maybe dialed in kind of guy anyway. Yeah. yeah. And it works for him, I guess. Yeah. So I said, well, it's working for you. And then don't get off a winning horse like you taught me. Oh, I, I like that. That's a good <laughs> Yeah. And I was thought, yeah. So, so I stole that you, from you. 
Yeah, it's a it's a good one. Do, do you have? Um, I stole that from Nate Mowry. Nate Mowry, if you're listening, which I would be shocked if you are, but if you are, <laughs> thank you for that. Say, um, are you? Um, so, are his serum levels pretty good? Pretty steady? Yeah, I I, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head. Um, but you don't recall stuff. him being a big outlier in terms of no, no, no. He's a real con- not. He yeah, he's looking for. He's a numbers guy, right? I want to be at 800. I want to be at this estrogen. I want to be at, you know, he's very much dialed in. Well, I have one guy in my practice who does a sub Q and exactly like you're describing, he came to me and he does it with that regimen. He was doing it every other day. And I, you know, I, you know, not knowing a lot about the subcutaneous route for that particular drug and seeing his labs that he came to me with, I said, okay, we can maintain these labs. It's clearly safe. The proof is in the pudding. Show me. Let's try. And so we did. And he, and he did. And he does it every other day. That's crazy. So then, you know, <clears throat> we have been talking about this for some time. And it is, it is an interesting topic. And I do hear from time to time people come in and talk about it. I hear it and I, I read it and uh, on the Internet, IG, social media threads. And, and I don't know. When they come in the clinic and talk about it and it's brought up, I've never found it to be super useful and practice changing. And I guess I'm fairly convincing because <laughs> I, you know, I, I feel like, you know, the, the breadth of experience that I have both in, in the knowledge I have, or I thought I had, at least in this realm, you know, um, as it pertains to this specifically, for whatever reason, the result was that my patients don't really do it. And, and they were, and everybody was fine. It wasn't like I was lacking, you know, there was something missing from my clinical practice. But since you and I were exploring all these topics for this podcast and we talked about it, I will tell you that the, the, the physiology of it is actually very interesting. And now, having done this, I, I'm more inclined to do it, to recommend it rather. <clears throat> but like all things, there's what you read in studies, <laughs> journal articles, textbooks, and then there's, there's the clinical practice of it too. So I think that that comes into play. So let's just, you know, let's just dive into this a little bit and re- review it. Um, so let me just use it. You kind of set me up, which is for this, and this is really good. Um, ultimately the, for testosterone esters, everything that we, that we use in clinical practice. And I would say the main ones are cypionate and enanthate testosterone cypionate and anthate. So the cypionate, as you know, is the ester part of it. The anthate is the ester part of it. And anthate is like seven carbons long and uh, cypionate is like eight carbons long. Then there's one other one that's used in clinical practice or at least written about. And there's now there's plenty of other ones that are available out there on the black market or, you know, maybe in other markets or like appropriate that's a very, or, you know, fat, test prop as it's called uh, for short. It's a very fast acting, very small, very small ester. And then on the other end of the spectrum, there's I've seen testosterone undecoinate. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that right, but it's it's like yeah, I think it's only in Europe. Last I saw, yeah, is it, that right? Has, yes, long, yeah. long, long half life. Yeah, like a shot a month. But it's been implicated in oil embolisms to the lung. Interesting. Oh. So there's this thought of you know, do we really? And I guess you know, if you're if if you're doing something that's an elective thing, it's a it's not a testosterone emergency. Like you don't come in on the ambulance. We have an acute testosterone deficiency here. You know, so you, you need to obviously the risks risk benefit profile is even that much more important. Why subject yourself to unnecessary risks for something that's elective? So we're left with we're left with enanthate and cypionate. Those esters basically what happens 
the systemic elimination of those esters is about the same and it's pretty steady. So then that leads you to the formulation of them and the injection site is what influences the speed and magnitude of the response. And as we've talked about in this podcast before, that's important because the speed and magnitude of the response can precipitate potential complications. Okay, so one would be once the most common cause or what's the most common complication with uh, testosterone therapy? We talked about it last week, right? Or, or not last week, but whenever it was recently. Um, Androgen-induced yeah. erythrocytosis, right? <clears throat> and we said that higher doses and magnitude and the speed of onset, meaning esters from injections, specifically IM injections, tend to do it more readily than maybe pellets, more readily than et cetera down the line. <clears throat> so... You have to understand, this is really pretty interesting, when, you, when an ester is dissolved, so the, the molecule is attached to a fatty chain in ester, and so you've got testosterone and anthate. Now you've got this new compound, right, that they can patent, by the way, and sell as a drug. Then you have to dissolve that in an oil. That's your carrier marker. That's your carrier f- f- to put the depot. The depot is the injection of the, vo- the volume that you put in. Just as for everybody listening, make sure. I know you know this stuff, but the volume <clears throat> that you inject into your muscle in this case, or subcutaneous space, is called a depot. Okay, so that uh, testosterone has to be dissolved into that oil. It's done, it's done so usually, typically, with benzyl alcohol. Then there's a bunch of different oils, right? Cottonseed, sesame, grapeseed, um, any, any that I didn't cover there? I, mean, there's, I think grapeseed is the most common. I'm not sure why. Probably due to price from the pharmacies, but that's probably the most common one I see. Right. Turns out benzyl alcohol is as hydrophobic as it is hydrophilic or vice versa. Basically, it's equally um, dissolvable in fats and in aqueous mm. substance, which is interesting. So so let's put, so now we're going to put this depot in the, into the interstitial space. We're not putting it into a cell, right, yet. And we're, not, we're definitely not putting it into the vascular space. Those three compartments, interstitium, uh, intracellular, intravascular. <clears throat> so it's in the interstitium, in, in between muscle cells. It's just sitting there, right? Well, because benzyl alcohol is readily dissolvable into aqueous solutions, because that's what you're in now, basically, boop, out comes the testosterone ester. Okay, so that happens pretty fast. And that's going to happen pretty fast in the subcutaneous tissue or uh, the uh, interstitial space of the muscle because the benzyl alcohol is the predominant driver there. Okay, so that's, there's no much difference there. Then what happens is you have to have hydrolyzed the ester. So you got to get rid of that cypionate molecule or enanthate molecule to then have active testosterone. Active testosterone is less than one kilodalton in size. So that would make it readily able to pass blood capillaries and into the systemic circulation. But turns out that hydro, that hydrolysis of ester process is extremely slow, very slow. So, <clears throat> What happens is the testosterone cypionate in this case, or enanthate, then gets into systemic circulation some, some other way. It turns out that way is lymphatics. So the big driver mm. here is the difference in lymphatics. And this was this just it was very, of course, you know, I like and I assume you do too, we like to nerd out on this stuff, but um, we're we're slowly getting to the crux of the matter for the patient. But the the so so now we have to look at the difference in lymphatics. We have to ask ourselves, is there a difference in lymphatics between the 
subcutaneous space and the muscles. Yeah, there is. It turns out it's the pumping mechanism. Okay. So they both can go in there, but the way in which they're extracted out of that interstitial space and into the lymphatic space and then, and then pushed into systemic circulation has to do with the pump <clears throat> in the muscle. It's the muscle, right? So that's why when you're in a hospital, we put those squeezers on your legs so that, well, that's not the reason, but it's, it's akin to that. You can think of that, that, that pump mechanism. It affects the muscle. The muscle releases myokines that then release, have an anticoagulant effect on the body. But nonetheless, when your muscles contract, they pump the lymphatic fluid, which is full of, you know, ultrafiltrate, right, from the cell and the different, from the vascular space and the different proteins and molecules, nutrients and et cetera. And it is carried into systemic circulation. That is based on the muscle. Okay. And that is extremely variable. So <clears throat> not to mention the other, there's one other thing. There is some, okay, there is going to be some hydrolysis of the ester at the level of the tissue. I didn't say it was absent, I just said it was slow. So then you look at the blood flow based on where you're injecting this site, the blood supply is, is extremely variable blood flow to the, there's very good physiologic studies that demonstrate the blood flow to the deltoid is much, much higher than blood flow to the glute. So if you have 100 people in your practice, 50 of them are put in IM injections in their uh, deltoid, 50 of them put them in their glute, they're going to have a variable uptake of testosterone based only on the blood flow. So that's one. Just based on location alone. Location alone. And both would be IM injections. Both would be IM injections. Interesting. Then between the two, sub-Q or IM, it's based on the pump. Now, in the subcutaneous space, there's, the blood flow is kind of poor, and it's uniform. And it doesn't change with exercise. Whereas with so if you got a bodybuilder or you got an athlete, a CrossFit athlete, right? So not only are you going to have variable blood flow based on what, what you get your injection, you go to the gym that day. Okay. You're going to have variable blood flow based on what you're working, right? Your muscles and <clears throat> not so with subcutaneous space. So that's going to change in the variance. So that's your bulbs are going to be all over the place. Not only that, let's say you put in your delts and then you worked your delts that day in the gym. Well, you're going to, your lymphatic pumps are going to be squeezing it really rapid or glutes. You did squats that day, right? Um, then you're going to be getting big boluses of this into your bloodstream via the lymphatics that you would not have had with a sub Q. Why? Because a sub Q has an intrinsic pump and not an ent entrance pump. They're called lymph angions. They're these muscular units of the, of the lymphatics that kind of pump slowly the fluid through. And those are the predominant pump or mover of fluid in the subcutaneous space. So it leads to a very slow, steady, kind of always the same, um, non-variable rate of transfer of testosterone ester into systemic circulation. Once they hit systemic circulation, all bets are off. So that comes to the second part of what you said. So in clinical practice, there's a lot of interesting studies out there actually about this. There was one study I was looking at <clears throat> It was a retrospective cohort study, but I mean, for the purposes of pharmacokinetics, it's fine, right? You're just, you're just, you're just observing the data. So, <clears throat> and then reported it. Um, they found that men, I think it was, I believe it was all men who they were giving men 100 milligram. They were using, so to get to the same blood levels, first of all, in the subcutaneous dosing, they were using half of what they were using in the IM. Um, uh, 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 to get to comparable doses, okay? 
Then on a milligram per milligram basis, equivalent doses, they found that the IM folks were getting to much, much higher levels much quicker. So in the first week, or first two weeks, rather, excuse me, the dose, the serum levels that you would see on equivalent doses, sub-Q versus IM, were much higher in the IM. So you got that big pop right out of the gates. Right. But by Which I think we all see in practice, too. I mean, right. guys notice the effects pretty darn quickly. But by week six, which they were calling steady state, which to me is four and a half half-lives, that's, for me, I would say it was about four and a half weeks. Half-life of testosterone recipient, I believe, was a week. So four and a half half-lives, four and a half weeks, they call it six. Same thing. Both say, they were the same. So it was interesting. So like you said, in the end, it probably mm. doesn't matter. But it is much more variable up front. And depending on where you inject, it's going to be variable. So on any one event of giving yourself an injection, the six-hour uh, serum level versus the, you know, based on what you do, now that's, that's very variable. Number next is, interesting observation was that subcutaneous at six hours and subcutaneous at six weeks, serum levels were the same. So it, it, it proved that it doesn't change, okay? But not so with IM. Um, well, there was another point I was going to make, and now, and now I, just I, I think little. this for me. Tell me what you think. This highlights the the necessity for for maybe the physician to yeah. understand these things, and then because I I would look at it this way that all that information is probably supremely important for an individual. While it may not change a large cohort of a thousand of your patients, but for the one who does significantly better with I am or significantly better for sub Q injections. It matters ultimately, right? Be Massively. Exactly. Right. You know, the statistics don't apply to an individual is what I always tell my patients. Right. So if they're doing better with the sub Q and I say, well, I am is better because this is the blood flow and this is the viscosity and this is the, the thing you should change the sub Q. I mean, you should change the I am. Maybe that's not true. Right. Because for the individual, it, it, it's working for them. So I think I look at this stuff and I think it's worth for physicians and worth for, for prescribers investigating this, doing the knowledge exercise to understand this, <clears throat> and then understanding that the the implications both on the individual as well as the grand scheme. Sometimes on the big picture, it may not matter a whole lot, but for an individual, it may matter ultimately. Right. That's a, that's a really good point because in large number, you know, <clears throat> What's the term? Big number, big number, or, you know, anyway, the law of large numbers, whatever, you know, basically when you're moving, when you're looking at big, huge, large numbers, a lot of these variances kind of shake out. And so that's the whole point of doing these bigger studies and mm -hmm. you know, doing them in a, in a way that shows you data that means something. But people probably didn't give a lot of credence to any of that because in the end, like I said, a steady state, they all kind of end up the same anyway. But for the one person, yeah, it matters. So if I have somebody that's a real high estrogen converter, I'm not. I'm going to say, hey, maybe we should do sub Q because we don't want right. to. We don't want to rate. Okay, that's one thing. If I have a bodybuilder, I'm probably going to say consider sub Q. You know, because maybe you're going to change your. You're going to have varying levels. Um, so then the question to me was that came up in my mind is, well, how, what, what are you going to dose? How are you going to dose this? And it was really interesting too, as I think, and you, I learned this from you, or it was kind of learning from observing you have you i noticed that you had a real good out of the gates as an np had a good way of explaining and a good personal tolerance for methodical 
we'll get there when we get there mentality. Like, because we'll get there when we get there because the way in which we get there needs to be right because we need to keep you safe and get to the right place and we're playing for the long game. Meaning, <clears throat> so when somebody comes in, and I, I think this is everybody is different in their temperament, and we should talk about this in terms of emotional quotient, EQ, or the, the art of medicine someday, by the way. We should do this mm-hmm. with maybe a, maybe a, um, a, like a psychologist type, you know? Um, that'd be a good topic for an upcoming podcast. But I know that as a, and, I, and I've had attendings along the way, when a patient comes in, there is, there is an element of customer service that's at play there. They're, they're, they come in wanting something, and I remember a family doc telling me this when I was in med school, that, you know, he always tried to le- let them leave with something, leave with a script, leave with a sample. Cause they always, you know, and it was his little thing of trying mm-hmm. to give good customer service. But you know, there, there is this, I'm coming to you with this desperation. I can't get an erection or I have low energy or I have a low libido or I, whatever it is. And you want it, you have, at least I do, or I think the general person has a temptation to want to alleviate their patient's symptoms quickly, but that can be deleterious. If, and so what I mean, so where I'm going with this is that in the studies with sub Q, and it was funny because there were several on transgender men, you know, so it was, a lot of this work was, and they were doing it weekly injections and it was slow and steady. So where you would start with maybe like 50 grams, 50 milligrams, excuse me, per week. Um, so in a 200 milligram per mil, you're half, so we a quarter mil, a quarter, quarter mil in space. We, and they slowly went up. And so 50, 75, 85, anyway, it was range for a hundred. And they got, but where they got, and they reported this, they got up to 1,200 nanograms per deciliter, <laughs> which is pretty darn good, right? But it was a slow, steady rise, and sub-Q was really good at that, but they didn't see a lot of the effects of low, or excuse me, high estrogen conversion, other deleterious things, androgen-induced uh, erythrocytosis. And I said, huh, that just, again, reinforces that slow, steady approach, that methodical approach to get to where you want to get to safely with the end goal in mind but to do so methodically and patiently so that you don't get the side effects. And I would just, as a matter of, you know, as a point of speaking here, I, I think you've already naturally done well with that. Um, what do you think about that? Number one, number two is what do you think patients and how, how do you coach patients through that to get them to subscribe to that? Yeah, I think that's a, that's a good point. What I, I tell patients and I spend not a whole lot of time, but in my initial exams, I say, I, I think it's important for you to understand where I'm coming from, from a broader perspective of medicine. So I say, like, I'm not a go big or go home kind of doc. I would rather start slow and build up. That doesn't have to be your preference. Here's why it's my preference. So you understand where my decision making has come from. If we meet at a different Road. You know, I mean, it, a simple example of that is you go to somewhere and they're like, hey, I need the MRI for this. And the doc's like, no, you don't. And, and instead of the, the patient saying why they wanted the MRI and the doc saying why he doesn't think you need it, they just say yes and no. And there's a there's an impasse. Right. So I say a lot of the decision making that you'll see me make. Here's how I make it. Here's the thought processes I'm having. Here's why I do it the way I'm doing it. I have found that as long as you communicate that to the patient. And I tell them, you're allowed to disagree with me. I may not capitulate if you disagree, but we're, we can have that discussion. But just so you know where I'm coming from in my, my frame of reference. Okay. And so, and I found patients, if they understand the end goal and they understand how we're going to get there, they're much more accepting, even if it is not how they want to do it. They understand, well, he did tell me that. He told me it's going to take me a little bit of time. He told me he'd rather go slower than faster. He told me he'd rather keep me safe than keep me, you know, at 1500 on my testosterone levels. And, and here's the reasons why. So I think that communication 
helps the patient understand and it helps them not feel like maybe they're not being heard or maybe they're feeling like they're, you don't have the same end goal in mind or some of that miscommunication that happened. So I like to set that sort of, here's where my decision-making has come from. And that tends to get most of my patients on board. Um, and I had a, like, I had an example of this in the clinic today, or this week, I had a young lady who came in and she was having some acne from her pellets. And I was like, she, she was like, I, I shouldn't have talked to you out of staying at the same dose. And I looked back in my notes and I had written in there, you know, based on her previous labs, consider lowering her dose patient has super physiological levels, potentially going to run into issues. And this is the conversation we had. And then we talked and she wasn't having any issues. She wasn't having any problems. There was, we weren't that significantly over quote unquote normative values and we weren't running into danger. And so we decided to stick with the dose because she was liking the benefits. And then she said about a week later, she started getting acne and she was like, dang it. I wish I had listened to you. Right. And then it myself too, I was like, I should have gone with my, a little bit with my intuition mm -hmm. and gone a little slower, got a little lower. Right. Um, you know, we were running into subjective issues here, no medical problems. So it wasn't a big deal, quote unquote, but it, you know, they're coming to you. Like you said, this is an elective procedure. So those elective things matter. Um, so I just like to explain that to patients and I have found better results taking that method rather than going the fast route. But it is, you do have this, like, you came to me with a problem. I've put myself out there in the community as having answers mm -hmm. in some sense. So I want to provide you with that answer. And if I don't, I feel like I'm letting you down. And All right. Yes. You, yes. You know, so you, you got to feel that onerous. You got to fight that. And it's good to talk through these things. Another thing too, is that on the, so, so, the way that I think we both practice is like the anti-paternalism. Like these are, this is what I believe. This is why I believe it. This is where I'm, this is the box of safe things. I'll let you kind of choose where in the safe, you know, I'll kind mm -hmm. of, but the flip side of that is like what you just said, sometimes you can, and it's usually innocuous. I mean, we're not, I mean, we're not we're being willy nilly here, but, but you know, in that case you get that you mentioned where the woman kept going and then she was like oh, i wish we had pulled back a little bit because the acne and so that would be the mistake you're going to make in the airing away from paternalism kind of thing you know so but then just talking through this i've i find that if you explain those things up front and you take the time to do that then when you have to get a little paternalistic and kind of or what is perceived as that at least and reel them back in a little bit they're more accepting at that point and for sure and, because, you know, the, the cool thing is that ultimately you're giving the person agency and you're giving them the what is really it's their body anyway. And you're making them a stakeholder in their health, which they should have been anyway. And I, so I, that's why I don't like the purely paternalistic view, mm -hmm. because, I, I, you know, where because you I, I just feel that the best results that I get with a patient is when they subscribe completely, when I'm giving them the most agency that I can hand and, I, and I'm facilitating them being a stakeholder in their own health. If I can do those things. They're more likely to stick with it. I oh, 100%. And I try to tell people, you're not paying me to have a short-minded onset. You're, you're paying me and you're entering a contract with me to look as I see it. And this is how I'm viewing it. You're looking at me to look 5, 10 years, 15 years down the road, which you inherently 
can't see the forest for the trees because you are in the middle of it. You're paying for an objective observer. And if I was only looking at six weeks, six weeks, six weeks, we'd be doing the same thing. I said, yeah. you just, you, you, you do the day to day. I can't see that. That's your life. I'm going to look five, 10, 15 years. That's why I'm talking to you about a colonoscopy now, even though you're only 35. Right. That's why I'm talking to you about some heart scans. That's why I'm talking about, let's keep your estrogen. We don't want to bomb your estrogen now because you may have bone loss in 10 years, right? So you're, you're entering this contract because a, you want some expert advice, because you can't know everything. I'm not building houses and I'm not going to set up my own trusses. I'm going to go to an expert, you know, and you're, you're, pay me to be an expert opinion and have a long-term view as I see it. So, so when I make decisions, I'm looking at it from your long-term health perspective, which may not always be in direct reconciliation with short-term benefit. Absolutely. And that's a very hard in a society, in a world and where, you know, everything is a <clears throat> short-term focus. The stock, right. the stock market's next quarter focus, the, the, the corporate America's next quarter. Fo- and I, I mean, I'm not criticized. I'm just saying this is what it is and, or immediate gratification and the healthcare system in America. I mean, like, and uh, as part of the acute care system, I, I, you know, it has to be there, but, but it's just like, you know, getting them, I'm just changing the number to change the number. No, you're, you're changing the number to prevent the long-term complicate and, and getting people to understand that. And it's, it's hard, and I, it, you know, but if you can do that, I think that's the best thing. So I, I love that that plays. Yeah, out. and I think I like your your comment about bringing on a psychology talk. Some of my perspective has come through my own personal emotional intelligence growth that I've ventured on. Like I really, I really have that strong urge to help people in the moment, to do what's best, and let them kind of guide the ship solely, as opposed to relying on my own expertise and understanding some of the broader concepts of how medicine can influence and can be influenced by emotional health. And maybe we take a longer term perspective, which can be, which can take some, some objectivity on a physician's part, as well as some emotional intelligence, as well as academic intelligence. I agree. And I don't, and I feel like it's a good time to talk. It was always a good time to talk about it. It's never a bad time, but I mean, it's, it's a particularly ripe time to talk about it as the world and our society and the communities we live in come on the, come out of the scourge of COVID and all the BS that came along with it too. Ugh, because, don't get me started on that. I mean, well, I mean, it just really, I think I'm just, it was see a debacle. It, it was an absolute debacle, but, but so we can mourn it and, and we should, and we should grieve it and we should and, and, and process it and we should, but what we really should do long in talking about long-term mental health and is we should make some changes. Yeah. Um, Which was the so, impetus for my practice in general, right? I, I, it never. I went through my preceptor. I was like, I can't do this. Everyone's doing the same thing, but for me, it wouldn't work. I'd be either going to start out making a change exactly. or, or or be part of the system. Yeah, and I and I and then I saw the success of it. And what's interesting is is at the at the mm, you, you were your success and making it work kind of peaked as as COVID came around. So it was it was a ripe and interesting time for me to mm-hmm. see it. And, and as a you know, obviously my brother's so a close observer. It was really cool to see that and say. Wow, this is he's really making some changes. And I, no doubt, I mean, I'm not I love my surgeons and I love my surgery and experience and surgical experience. So I, and I love that people are there taking care of people in the moment, but but I always I always had this twinge of 
golly, I'm seeing the same stuff over and over again, and a lot of it's preventable. Yeah. Can we? Can we? How can we really? I mean, it I takes think both sides. It takes it really takes, takes both, both sides. And and I, and there's a big part of trauma that's you know we're trying to we're trying to figure out how to make car accidents if they're going to happen be less impactful or how to how to change traffic systems so they won't happen. You know, but um, anyways, um, ultimately, I think that sub Q is viable now. I have totally changed my mind on this. The key is going to be how the question is going to be is the volume of the depot and the thinness of the person. Are you going to have like this big knot mm-hmm. sticking out underneath your, you know, so I think that has to be more frequent shots. I would imagine because your depot has got to be smaller. Well, I, that's the thing though. It, 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 I don't know. I, it, it, okay. So in the studies that I, that I see, when they move it, up to, um, up to a, as high as a half a milligram, a half a, milliliter. Me, half a milliliter once a okay. week. And so once a week, hmm. man. So I, I think it's so 100 milligrams, maybe 125. So, so maybe I can see how that could take you a while to get there, but then the the slowness the of it created such a steady state that you really exactly. only needed to be. You could never do once a week on an IM injection, but potentially you could do once a week on a on a uh, sub Q injection because of the after a few weeks that buildup and that steady state is reached. Hmm. 150 was the, what I'm, yeah. And you're right. And now I know why they couldn't do that. You can't do that with IM because it's so variable and you're getting this big pop up front and that kind of thing. And then we're giving a bunch of anastrozole and we figured it out, right? We've kind of, we've adapted for the variability yep. and we've gotten just through experience, very good at it. And so that's good. But we took, we took a flawed system maybe, or, uh, you know, in an, an unreliable system and it became reliable around so it. So now you're telling me I got to relearn <laughs> all that. But <laughs> let me, option. let me ask you this. What let's, let's take it down a rabbit hole, which I tend to sometimes do a little bit too much. Could you start with maybe an IM injection as well as a small sub Q to get the initial, to get the effect, to find out if this is going to work for them, to find out the effects, to get the resolution quickly while you're also slowly building a, a sub-Q base, so to speak. Yeah, and I think you can do a lot of those things. Not today. to overcomplicate it. <laughs> no, it's, it's an interesting thought. I think you have to have a motivated practitioner yes, who's, and a, patient. Who's, who's available and then a very motivated patient who's going to come in and be compliant with, with more frequent labs. But, yeah, you could do that. Yeah, I mean, like Dr. Chester Sokolowski, who was on here, you know, he's, I like that comment. He said, there's optimal, but then there's also practical. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. That's great. You know, it's I like, like that. Yeah. He's, he's it's right. True. Let, so let me ask you another question. Speaking of that. So it's kind of the same, it's kind of the same concept of, um, when you do pellets, do you give a bolus IM dose? On my initial? Yes. On initial. Yeah. But not, not every time. Not every time, unless they've missed, like if someone's schedule is 14 yeah. weeks and something came up in life, like the holidays, and they missed two weeks, and now they're dragging a little bit, then I will. So I think putting those, once you start to master these physiolo- the physiology and you take the time to dive deep, and then you and then you apply the physiologic principles in a sound fashion in the practitioner who's motivated and following up on a patient who's motivated and following up, I think it works well. That's yeah, my answer. Both are taking the time to make it make it work, right? You can, it's probably not something you can just willy nilly try and not check labs and Absolutely. not be motivated Absolutely. to do. Absolutely good. I, I got a patient in mind. I'm gonna try this on. I think he's having I do trouble. Too, actually, we'll, ha- we'll have to compare. We'll have to compare yeah. those. Let's you know. Let's in a, a couple of months. Let's let's check back on that. Sounds um, good, Doc. All right, man. Next time. Uh, you know what? Let's. I, I want to hear more about this psychological aspect of it too. Yeah, I got somebody in mind. I think we can bring on. I got a good oh, guy okay. here locally that I've worked with, and I think has been a good mentor in that respect for me. And and so I think he might be willing to come on and talk to us. 
Yeah, and I, I, you know, in, in looking at a lot of practices lately, and just you know, kind of getting more into this, my own, I've seen where people collaborate, and I and I've gotten more excited and more interested in it. So, um, yeah, maybe next time if you're if it's yeah, if he's I'll, I'll set it up. Producer Nick, let's think about that. All right, guys, good seeing Thanks, you, brother. Have a good one. You too. Bye.